my heart wasn't beating, I wasn't breathing. And so uh, um, she you know, grabs her phone, calls 911, puts it on speaker, and, um, and just starts immediately doing CPR. Today we've got Ted Cushion joining us to share not only a little bit about himself, but also an adventure. And um, there's a unique twist on this one. So you're going to want to zero in on the the back half of his adventure story. Um, And it has to do with some some human interest stuff that's pretty pretty, uh, heavy. Um, Is that a fair way to say it, Ted? Yeah, I think that's that's pretty fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, so fun fun fact, uh, Ted and I uh, have history together. Uh, he actually hired me, gosh, almost 20 years ago um, for one of my favorite jobs during Calvin or d- during college. I was attending uh, Calvin College at the time. And Ted was at a nearby outdoor store that specialized in running um, and outdoor soft goods. Uh, called Gazelle Sports. Um, I went in there thinking um, that I could have, you know, a flexible schedule. I could, you know, make a a small amount of money, (laughs) enough to buy (laughs) beer and pizza. And um, what I came out with was a really cool education, uh, an expanded uh, mindset on uh, a myriad of outdoor sports, but also I'd say probably one of the coolest things that I left with was a really sound understanding of um, soft goods. Ted really taught soft goods with a a unique spin, Um, and it was just really applicable and really um, easy for me to to absorb it. But uh, just as far as layering, as far as wicking, uh, insulation properties... Ted pretty much taught me everything I know about base layers and, and shells all the way and anything in between. Um, you were the first guy who actually taught me that that uh, poly was made from recycled pop bottles, and that blew my mind. <laughs> um, but that's neither here nor there. Ted, so glad to have you. So glad to reconnect with you. Uh, in the back half of that story uh, should lead you to the, the, the proper front end of that story. We reconnected at... Um, it was the uh, RV show, right? Yeah. Downtown. Yep. yep. Grand Rapids. My wife and I uh, walked by his booth. He was repping Garmin, and uh, we just caught each other's eye and said, no way, caught up. And I learned a handful about Ted that uh, he's eager to to fill in. So, Ted, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Uh, tell, us, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. First of all, I apologize that you made no money uh, at Gazelle because you put every dime you made back into, uh, you know, back into the store. So um, that is kind of how those work. Uh, That's you know, you true. You basically spend every dollar you make on your staff discount. That's uh, true. My buddies still have a standing joke that uh, I got paid $7 an hour and I think I spent it all on Capilene underwear. Yep. Yep, so. that's uh, that is the norm. But, yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was it was a great experience. I I was just regurgitating, you know, what I learned uh, when I was sharing that with you. Uh, but you know, I think it's a great lesson that it's like go, especially in your early years, go find a great company to work for. And you know, it's easy to say, you know, put the money aside, put all that stuff away. But I, you know, I still twenty years later, I'm still um, still referencing you know, gazelle sports and, you know, 
I, I learned a ton there too. So it's, uh, I think it really speaks to the importance of finding those, uh, you know, those great companies to work for. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, um, you know, a little bit about me. I grew up in Northern Michigan. So, uh, just, uh, just West of Cadillac, right in the Manistee forest. Um, so grew up like a lot of, you know, a lot of Northern Michigan kids, uh, hunting and fishing, uh, pretty much every weekend, my dad was a big, you know, he was a big outdoorsman. He was a biology teacher. So, um, he was, um, you know, he really wanted to make sure that, um, that it was a big part of my life as well. Sure. And so, uh, <clears throat> but on, it was big on natural sciences and yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, he wanted me to, you know, to really understand, uh, the ecology and, um, but he also, I mean, I'm not gonna, like, he really wanted me to love hunting and love fishing because he loved those things. And, and, you know, he was excited to have a son and, and, and want to do those things with me. So, yeah, of course. Um, and so, yeah, of course I was, I was pretty obsessed with it. Um, you know, I had some cousins that were the same age as me and, uh, and they were into those things too. So, uh, so it was, you know, it just became a big part of, of growing up and, uh, um, and then, you know, as I, as I got older, um, I started to get into, uh, I guess I, I'd call it more non-traditional sports up there. So, you know, mountain biking was really, um, started kind of in the early nineties. Yeah. And so it was like the late nineties, I was in high school and had some friends that were getting into that and definitely wasn't something on my parents' radar. No. So Stump uh, jumpers, hard rocks, yeah, steel framed. Yeah, for sure. So I actually had a, uh, I actually had a, a stump jumper was my first real mountain bike. So I think it was a lot of people's first real mountain bike, but, uh, um, so I bet you had some sweet bar ends on that bike. I did. I did. Yeah. I hooked many trees with those, those sweet bar ends, but, uh, <laughs> uh, fortunately, you know, back then the bars were a lot narrower, so you didn't hook as many of them, but, uh, today you'd hook every single tree in, the, in the woods. That's so true. Um, so anyway, got, got into, uh, you know, got into racing mountain bikes a little bit and, and uh, again, my parents didn't really understand. They're like, wait, you just want to like go out and ride to ride. Like you're not trying to get somewhere. And, uh, and so, you know, gosh, I'll never forget. I think it was the summer after my, um, might've been my junior year of high school. And, uh, you know, it was the first year I had like a decent summer job. And, you know, at the end of the end of the year, I, uh, I took a good chunk of money and, you know, I didn't ask, just blew it on a, a new mountain bike. And, um, uh, they were not happy about this. They're thinking, man, you know, that's a, that's a good chunk of money towards a car, Sure, you know, thinking and purely from a practical perspective. Absolutely. And I, and I think they were also thinking just that this is something that you're not going to keep doing. This is just, you a know, phase. So this is something you were doing cause you couldn't, you couldn't drive. Yeah. So, uh, um, and you know, it's funny, we've had conversations since about that. My dad's like, man, if I, if I would have known how much you really loved it and, and you know, what a big part of your life it would be it's like, I probably would have helped and just like bought the bike for you. Wow. you know? But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's funny. We could kind of laugh and you about, learn. you can laugh about that now. So, yeah. Uh, and that's formative watching your kid, um, just being a parent now. And I know you're a parent as well, but just kind of getting to that age where it's like, you want to encourage your kid. Um, to kind of feel all the feels that come with working really hard, right? And then yep. uh, experience, you know, the 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 gravity of of making a big purchase. It's like, yeah, you're gonna have to deal with the consequences of being really, really 
uh, impulsive if if you don't allocate those funds in a way that's yeah, you know well thought true. out. So I understand some of that behind your dad's posture, but at the same time, it's kind of kind of endearing to hear that subsequent conversations has led has has led him to saying, "Man, I could have chipped in. I could have helped you out." Yeah, yeah, it's uh, you know. Like I said, just one of those learning moments. Yeah, right? neither here nor there. All right, so you rode your bike a lot. You started getting in on the, the mountain bike scene kind of as it was at its, um, I'd say, early, on the early swing of the, the uptick, late 90s. Um, you were kind of near near the huron Manistee National Forest or in it. Were, yep. you, were you outside <laughs> of uh, a major city or whereabouts? Yeah, west of Cadillac, about eight miles. So if... Uh, um, if anyone's familiar with that area, you know, it was pretty close to Caberface Ski Resort. Oh, nice. Small little, uh, you know, small little ski hill in north, uh, northwest Michigan there. Still a gem. It is. It is. I actually worked there for a little bit, too. Did uh, you really? Which was great because, you know, I got to ski for free. So for working, you know, a handful of days at the hotel. But, uh, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, great place to, to grow up. Um, you know, had really great access to biking so I could get off road, you know, from my house real quickly. Um, had lots of, lots of good mountain biking around me. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think back now, you know, we didn't have cell phones back then. So, uh, um, you know, so we would just go out and ride and I say, we, you know, I had a couple of friends that were into it too, but we'd go out with no tubes, no tools, <laughs> no cell phone, crappy helmets, um, and we would ride snowmobile trails for a lot of what we did because we could do it right from the house. And, you know, we'd get lost on these snowmobile trails. And again, we have, it's not like we told anyone where we're going. There's course. no contingency. No, here. no, there's just like, we have one bottle of water to split, you know. The four um, so, yeah, I, I think back now, I'm like, gosh, there's just, there's just no way I would let, you know, any of my kids leave the house so completely unprepared. And we did it like, every other day. And, you know, once we started working jobs, we took to night riding. And so we're now we're doing this at night. Um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. I think back now and I'm like, I, I really appreciate kind of the independence I was given when I was, uh, you know, in my, in my late teens, um, you know, later, later high school years to be able to do that. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it just became like just part of who I was in those, you know, those later high school years. And then, uh, um, I said, I started to take the, the racing a little bit more seriously. I, um, I had done Iceman a couple times, which is, you know, it's one of the biggest races in the, I think it is the biggest point to point race, mountain bike race in the country. Yeah. I just covered it last year. Yeah. It is. It's, it, there was, there were over 5,600, uh, enrolled participants last year. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely amazing. So, you know, I remember the first time I did it, um, I think I was 16 and, um, I'm 16 or 17, but, um, and there were no wave starts. It was one of the last few years without a wave start. So, you know, now, uh, they send about a hundred riders every, you know, 15 minutes or whatever that cadence is mm -hmm. to kind of spread people out on the trail. Um, and you know, sometimes they start at like nine o'clock and run until like they have starts at, you know, 1130 or something. So yeah, they go um, all the way up until two. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, uh, you've got all these waves. Well, you know, the first time I did it, they just sent everybody at once. They kind of lined you up by your, your class. If you were, you know, pro or elite or sport or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, I was racing sports. So I was kind of in that, I was probably right in about the middle of the pack, but, uh, 
I mean, they just shot off a gun or, you know, blew a horn, I don't remember, and said go. Oh, this is and, so uh, cool to you hear start about. And started Kalkaska <laughs> High School, and you just you kind of ride around their sports fields, and it was, I mean, you could tell the guys that knew the, knew the program because they were sprinting because they knew, you know, every – you know, every few seconds that I can sprint is like 50 people that I don't have to pass, pass on, on the, the trail. Stuff. Um, so, uh, so that was, that was kind of crazy. And then it was extremely cold that first year. So I remember I had, I had two water bottles and I think, you know, I was a little over halfway in, so a little over an hour in and it was, it was probably running around 20 degrees at the start time. Um, and you know, super windy and both bottles were basically frozen. Like, the water was frozen. The lit, like you couldn't snap the tops off. They were useless. So, uh, so I stopped at an aid station and they actually had like a little Gatorade station. Yeah. And, and I just took the few seconds to pound as much Gatorade as I could and just tossed the water bottles to the side and said, you can do what you want with these. Cause they're just, I mean, they're just anchors for me at that point. Yeah. And, uh, and it did the rest of the race with no water. <laughs> Just unsupported. Cramped up. You know what's so interesting is how quickly sport evolves. Um, but, I mean, that's not even something that's on a new rider's radar. Like a camelback with a neoprene sleeve fixed all that. Yeah. You yep. know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, now, gosh, if you forgot any of those things, you'd say, well, I'll turn around and go back home and, like, <laughs> go get it and no try baby. again. But you were out there with some of the legends. Like, um, who was uh, – I think we, we – recently learned of his passing his name was scott but he took like the first 10 trophies so yeah yeah do you remember I, his name i can't remember his last name yeah um i think yeah. he came out here all the way from from like cu like from boulder area yeah and then you had i mean i know tomac was out here in the early years jeremiah johnson a um, yep. little later tinker juarez was uh <laughs> came and raced so yeah they've always had you know gary fisher made a um he would show up um you know, for several years and, and represent there. So all I can see right now is awesome. Like neon colored spandex yes. on, on centerfolds right now. It's, it's coming back too. <laughs> look um, at the water it's, bottle. Uh, dude. Yeah. It's, it's definitely coming back. Uh, so. That's fun. Okay. So formative years spent um, really just having a lot of fun outside. Sounds like hunting, fishing, kind of more the, the hook and bullet traditional yep. sports were, were a big part of the fabric. Um, mom, dad, uh, sisters did you have brothers yeah. sisters yeah siblings? so I've, I've got a sister that's a year older than me and okay. she she was not into any of the stuff that I was into she okay. was uh she was into track and field so she was a she was a pretty good sprinter oh, so nice. uh um and then yeah both my parents were teachers and uh um so and, and really they couldn't have been you know more different <laughs> either I mean my dad was a big outdoorsman uh, my mom's, she's a, she was a music teacher. So, uh, um, more into the arts, definitely more into the arts now, you know, she's retired, but she does, you know, she does painting and sells a lot, a lot of paintings over on the east side of the state. Is that yeah. right? That's really cool. Yep, yep. So they retired over in, uh, over in Tawas area. So where my dad grew up. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, two completely different lifestyles, but you know, they've had an amazing marriage. So yeah, very fortunate when I think about, you know, just sort of, um, you know, all the people you encounter in life and you hear about sort of their backstory with their parents and, you know, sort of <laughs> what shapes them. And, and, uh, you know, particularly the people that tend to be pretty, you know, there's people that are definitely a lot more hardcore than myself, but I do consider myself on the spectrum, one of the more hardcore. And usually the common denominator there is like some, you know, some, uh, a lot of times some toughness in their past. Right. Yep. And, uh, um, 
I had a great, just a great situation growing up. So, uh, um, yeah, I mean, two, two loving, you know, middle-class parents. Sure. And, uh, um, yeah. I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're getting at now. Like when you, when you, uh, break down like an ultra marathoners backstory, there's usually some sort of common denominator there where there's, there was a gritty piece of yeah. their early formative years that took a whole lot of, of, uh, guttural fortitude to muscle out of. Yeah. And you're saying I you mean, had a relatively comfortable upbringing, but you self-motivated toward a lot of these sports that would require quite a bit of discipline. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my dad was definitely a, you know, I would consider him a disciplinarian. Um, you know, nothing that would ever cross the line, maybe by today's standards, but I mean, that's probably most parents back then. Mm. Um, but, uh, um, you know, so he was, he, he, he definitely, you know, demanded that, uh, you know, that I work hard and, and definitely pushed us to work hard. And to be brutally honest, like there were times I needed, like I needed that in my life. Um, I was, you know, especially with like school. Yeah. Um, I was not a, I wasn't a disciplined student. Yeah. Um, it, you know, now I think they're probably putting a lot more thought and energy into how kids learn and how different kids learn different sure. ways. That just wasn't like on the radar back then. And so, yeah. um, you know, they had high expectations that I was going to, you know, I was going to go to college. That was not a, not a question, but, you know, I grew up going to a, a school where that wasn't, you know, that wasn't a given, um, you know, so most of your high school teachers, your counselors, their, their energy was really focused on getting kids to graduate high school, not to excel in high school and prepare them for college. So I think that's where, you know, they tried to fill that kind of fill that gap. Yeah. And, uh, and so, well, it sounds they pushed like pretty hard on that. But. And it sounds like they, <clears throat> they succeeded, uh, on, on some level. Cause you did, uh, mentioned college and graduate school was part of your, your, uh, backstory as well. So bring us bridge that gap for yeah, us. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, so yeah, I went to, uh, end up going to Grand Valley state university. So, um, I mentioned earlier that I was, you know, very close with some cousins and, uh, one of my cl- cousins who's same age as me and big hunter and fisherman. We, you know, we, we decided together that we were going to Grand Valley and, uh, one of the you know, one of the deciding factors was that the Grand River runs through town and, and there's good salmon and steelhead fishing. So that was definitely more on his radar than mine at the time. Um, but, uh, you know, I decided I was going to run track at Grand Valley. So, uh, uh, so I did, you know, I ran track there for four years and really, you know, after my freshman year, um, I kind of took a step back from the, uh, from the mountain biking, from the racing, just really didn't want to take any, um, unnecessary risks of, you know, getting hurt. Um, you know, I did get some money to, to run track. And so, so I, I didn't want to risk that. And really, I just, you know, I, I, I figured you only have those four years to kind of chase those goals and then it's over. <laughs> so, yeah. so I wanted to make sure I was doing everything I could to be, uh, you know, to, to do as, as well as I could, um, with that side of things. So, um, but you, you were a college athlete, correct? Uh, for you, a year. I played soccer. soccer? Yep. Okay. So, um, and I mean, whether you're a college athlete or high school athlete or not, I mean, there comes a time where like, you know, you, you put so much energy and focus and I guess particularly if you're in college, because the, it literally is the end for like all but the fraction of a percent. Sure. Um, 
you know, everything kind of builds up to your last year and then you get to the end of your senior year and you're, you're really focused on, you know, that last, for me, it was that last track meet and doing as well as I could. Um, but you get done and it's just like, it's over. <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing on the calendar. Cause you, you know, really like if you want to be great at what you're doing, you can't be thinking beyond like that one date on the calendar, that last competition, everything is focused on that. So you get done and you're like, all right, well, there's nothing on the calendar. I'm Dust just, off uh, the hands. yeah, no, I'm just, uh, I'm, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do at this point. I, you always knew, know you're, you know, you st- say to yourself, yeah, I'll stay active. I'll do this. I'll do that. But, um, but there's no structure to it. All that structure falls away. You yep. know, you had all that coaching, you had all that direction and that kind of goes away. Now I, I stayed on and coached for a few years. Um, okay. And, uh, that's actually how I ended up at Gazelle because I thought, gosh, I should probably get a part-time job and started just part-time there. But, uh, um, and then I also, so after about eight months of just sitting around <laughs> enjoying, you know, not having to, uh, spend hours in the weight room and, and, and training. Eating pizza. Um, yeah. Well, I kept eating. I just didn't, <laughs> I just didn't burn the calories <laughs> off. Uh, but after about eight months, I thought, gosh, I should probably do something. And, uh, um, you know, put, put something on the calendar. Right. So I decided I was going to do the Chicago marathon. So, uh, uh, trained for the Chicago marathon and, uh, you know, kind of got myself back into shape and, and, um, did not touch a weight though. So, which was, I was so tired of, of, of lifting. And so I, I just, I just ran and it was a good situation because I was at Grand Valley coaching. And so I could actually run with the, the girls distance runners, the slower girls distance runners at Grand Valley, I could run with. So I was more of a sprinter, jumper. I threw the javelin. Um, so uh, anyway, get uh, getting through Chicago Marathon, and, uh, and and I started to pick up the bike again, just to, like on my cross training days, and uh, decided that I wanted to, uh, you know, uh, that after the marathon that I'd probably pick that back up. I was a lot better at it. So um, so after the marathon, I. Uh, um, I guess it was that next spring. Um, I was looking around for new bikes. It was definitely time to time upgrade. to upgrade and decided I was going to be a single speed mountain biker. That All was right. like, that was like the new uh, emerging craze in mountain biking was single speed. So, um, so I started, you know, started doing some races, did Iceman a couple times, single speed. And, uh, you know, at this point now I'm, I'm done coaching. Um, I'm working at Gazelle full time training, probably training Drew and, uh, and decided I was going to do, uh, throw my name in the, in the lottery for Leadville. So, uh, Leadville's a hundred mile, uh, mountain bike race in Leadville, Colorado, and it's pretty much all above 10,000 feet. So, yes. You know um, what? I remember this. I remember when you were either, I think you had, I, I think we met right at that time, Ted. I think you were actually training for it. Yeah, that's probably that's probably the case because I was spending a lot of time at the store. My my wife was in grad school, so I just got married, um, and she was you know super super busy all the time with that. So I tried to just work and train as much as I could and kind of stay out of her hair. Um, and you know we lived right next to uh, right next to the store and some crappy apartments there. So um, anyway, so yeah, uh, so I decided to train for Leadville, which was awesome. Like it was the first experience I had. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I did a, a little bit of this with Chicago marathon, but I really just wanted to finish 
you know, the Chicago Marathon, where this was something I thought, um, you know, I was going to have to be incredibly disciplined about the training. Um, and I was going to do it on a single speed bike. So, um, just to put that into perspective, and this was actually the first time I had even heard reference to Leadville, but, um, in the context of, of, uh, 2005, the only time that I had been above 12,000 feet was to strap a snowboard on my feet and have, you know, some fun in Summit County in Telluride in, you know, that on peak nine at Breck at, um, you know, Winter Park, Mary Jane, those are in my mind, I go, okay, that's where you go to have, have fun anaerobically, but to go do a hundred mile bike race above 12,000 feet was mind blowing to me at that time. It was just like, that doesn't compute fast forward to some of the events that have been taking place with more regularity now. And that might not strike you as something that's crazy, but walk to 10,000 feet and see how you feel from Michigan. I took my, my father-in-law to Idaho Springs for a beer and he got sick. Yeah. (laughs) So it's uh, just for a flatlander to acclimate that quickly and to actually take a crack at a hundred mile bike race is, is pretty sensational. So the, Walk us through, yeah, walk us through why you put that one on the list and, and maybe quick touch touch on it. Yeah, I mean, I'd been to Colorado skiing a handful of times, and so um, so I, you know, I had already been kind of in love with Colorado. My brother-in-law was going to school at UC out there. So, okay. um, so you know, like I said, I've been out there a handful of times and, and just loved the area. Um, Leadville was kind of the... It's kind of like the big hundred miler in the country. Yeah, like you said, right now there's probably, I don't know, there's probably 200, 100 mile mountain bike races out there now. But, um, but that was, that was kind of like the big dog. Um, and, you know, I, I, I was looking at just like the next handful of years, knowing that we're going to want to have kids, you know, at some point and, uh, and just where our careers were going to go. And I could see that clock kind of ticking for that opportunity and it was the timing was good but I didn't want it to be something like you know seven years down the road I was like this is if I'm gonna do it like now's the best opportunity as far as like still having that fitness and uh um you know the drive to to want to do it and that's you know that's a huge part of it too I was really motivated (laughs) so I thought gosh I don't want to squander this motivation it could go away at any time so um so yeah and and uh, and I knew it was a lottery and I thought gosh it could take years to get in well I got in on the first try oh that's right so uh so I got real lucky there it was kind of frightening to get that letter and find out that I got in um you know it makes it very real and you're like oh now you got to do it but you won your ticket to Sufferfest. Yeah, I absolutely loved the training, though. Um, like I said, we lived, uh, you know, kind of just east of Grand Rapids in, uh, I guess, it's like strip mall torture land where we were at, kind of. But, uh, um, but I could ride about 15 miles north of town, and we've got pretty solid mountain biking there. Um, and then just lots of gravel roads that are pretty hilly too. And so the biggest thing I knew was I was going to have to spend a lot of time on my bike. So, um, the race was going to be long. I mean, doing it on a single speed, um, while I felt pretty confident that I'd, you know, 
I would get in under the 12 hour cutoff. I knew it wasn't going to be like, you know, like gravel races. Now people are finishing hundred milers in you know, seven and a half to eight hours pretty regularly. That's, that's about where I'd expect to finish. Um, I knew this was going to be like, I was not going to be under 11 hours. <laughs> so it was going to be a long, a yeah. long, long day in the saddle. So I knew it was going to require long days, not necessarily always hard days, but definitely long days. So I would ride up to, uh, right up to Rockford. And uh, the other thing I knew was that I couldn't just eat power bars for 12 hours. <laughs> power bars. So, yes. uh, um, yeah, yeah. So if anyone remembers the early days of power bars, they were just these thin, like we have so many great options now, but they were just these thin, sticky, kind of like, um, almost like taffy type bars of, you know, protein. And they're kind of chalky tasting. Um, so I did this, this was pretty gross, but a friend of mine showed me this, but we would actually take them out of the wrappers before our ride. And then we would wrap them, um, around our handlebars and they'd actually stick to the handlebar. And then as you got hungry, you would just like, no way, pull it off the handlebar and eat it. Um, you guys made fruit by the foot on your, so on your handlebars. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it's pretty disgusting (laughs) if I think about it now. Um, but anyway, you know, so I knew I was like, I (laughs) couldn't, I can't do that for 12 hours. So, um, so I knew that part of the training also had to be, you know, from a nutrition standpoint, um, we weren't, I wasn't worried, you know, so much about what calories I put in, but I wanted to make sure I got a lot of calories in because there was going to be a lot coming out. So. Did you at least like switch up? So like when you pulled your power bar wheel off of the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> off of the handlebar, like, would you maybe mix a banana with a chocolate? No, no, <laughs> uh, I was, I was chocolate peanut butter. <laughs> that was the only one. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I would buy like the bulk box. Yeah. You got to buy them by the 12 from, pack. uh, from gazelle at a discount. Nice. So that was good. But oh, that's hilarious. Um, Ted. So, so I, I was adamant, I'm going to train my stomach to be able to like handle anything. And I'd, I'd, I'd heard about people doing this too. So, uh, um, so I was really intrigued by it. like, this is great. Yeah. If I have a choice between pizza and a power bar and I can handle it, um, I'll do that. So, uh, so I would ride up to, you know, ride up to Rockford, do the trails. Um, sometimes I'd even grab a bite to eat before that, but I would stop at like Bostwick Inn Bakery. Sure. Grab one of their giant donuts <laughs> I'd yep. be, you know, riding down their bike trail with a, eating a giant donut and then go to, you know, go to Cannonsburg little ski area. Just macking on an apple fritter. Just, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, go ride up and down, uh, up and down Cannonsburg. Burn it up. <laughs> 20 times. Yeah, and then man. Go do a couple loops on the trail and head home. So, uh. Hard scrabble. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was great though. Cause that was all, you know, all I had to think about was, you know, my work schedule. And then outside of that literally everything was just focused on the training. So, um, so great summer of training, uh, finally, you know, got to the event and, um, you know, there's definitely things I would do differently. Right. Um, we got out there, uh, my best friend from high school, I called him up. I was like, Hey, I need a crew. My wife's going to be out there, but she can't fly out for a couple days later. I don't, really want her like driving out with me anyway. So like, you want to, you want to drive out and crew for me and you know, you can kind of help her. And he was like, absolutely. Yep. I'm there. So, so it's cool to have my best friend out there from high school. And we, we really hadn't like connected much in the three, four years before that. So that was awesome. Um, and, uh, so had I to do it all over, I would have gone out there a couple days earlier to acclimatize. Um, but 
you know, we were working on a little bit tighter budget too. So, uh, that, that really, you know, made it a little bit complicated, but, um, so I wasn't fully acclimatized. You mean um, 11 bucks an hour at Gazelle wasn't doing it? Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> that, that wasn't quite doing Cause it, I know so. I was at seven fifty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know I was high on the hog. Yeah, that. you were. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. So we, you know, we still got out there. I think we spent, um, like two days in, uh, in Denver okay. and then we drove up to Leadville and then we spent, um, two days in Leadville. So I guess, yeah, we got up there like at night, stayed that night, stayed the next night. And then it was the race. So, um, so, you know, really felt great for the race. I mean, I was surprised, just kind of shocked how well the climbs went for me the first half. Wow. Um, and was just, yeah, I, I, I felt awesome. You know, 30 miles in, I'm, um, you know, I don't know where I'm at as far as relative to the pack, but I had a lot of people around me, so I felt like I was in good position. Keeping and, up, yeah. And, and just felt comfortable and, you know, was doing um, – I actually had alarms set on my, my old polar watch at the time oh, yeah, uh, to, those. uh, so, uh, you know, I was watching my heart rate to make sure it didn't spike too much on the climbs. That was a big thing is, uh, making sure that you, you know, just don't burn yourself out early. And that was really kind of my first exposure to heart rate training. But, uh, um, so I, w- I was watching my heart rate pretty religiously to make sure it didn't get above. I don't know, I think on the climbs I was looking at like one, uh, 160, 165. And then, uh, um, you know, had alarm set to make sure that I'm drinking. Cause I knew, you know, at altitude, it's so easy to get dehydrated and kind of get behind and then you can't really catch up. Yeah. So, um, so, but at about, uh, it's about 40 miles. There's a big, long, flat stretch. Um, that's actually quite a bit of pavement. I think you have about 10 miles of pavement. Oh, really? And so I, I had to decide at that point. And again, I'm running one gear. So, a lot of guys, they're running gears. This is like a road section for them. I mean, they're just putting it in a giant gear and just hauling to like, you know, make up time. Um, I didn't have that luxury. So, yeah. so I had to choose. Do I, do I sit back, get no benefit of a draft? Um, and it's pretty windy up there. Yeah. Um, stay in your heart. Yeah. And this is, stay this, in your target this heart, is right? just under 11,000 feet. And so, um, so I can do that or I can, you know, hop on the back of the train here and just try and, you know, spin, <laughs> keep up with these guys. And, uh, and so I chose to keep up with them. If I had to do it all over, I would not have done that. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, my, you know, I was watching my heart rate. I was comfortable, but my heart rate was pretty, it was above like 170, um, for, you know, for probably about an hour. Oh man. And so, uh. So then there was a nice little downhill section, um, just real gentle, um, down around, I think twin lakes. Um, and then you have a 10 mile climb up to, up to the halfway point. And this is like the big climb. This is the one everyone talks about, um, you know, making this big, long 10 mile slog up the mountain. And, uh, and so I, I got into a pretty good groove. Um, and uh, again, I'm like surprised how good I'm feeling, um, I get to the top, which is, I think it's just under 13,000 feet. The run, they actually do a run too. And the run goes just over the, the bike stops just short at 13,000. That's crazy, man. And, uh, yeah, I remember I had ramen noodles, pizza, and like Coke at the, at the summit. No Just way. to like, again, just cramming calories. Right. Um, and, uh, and I just felt a little bit of a headache. 
right? So I was like, all right, well, you know, that's like, I'll just make sure I'm drinking water, you know, fill up my Camelback and, uh, um, which man, I wish I still had that today. I had a Patagonia, uh, Houdini hydration pack. It's not made anymore. And it was the best pack I've ever had. No frills, just simple, real lightweight, very simple, super lightweight, great storage. Um, and yeah, I, I think I gave it away because I was like, ah, I'll get something new that's cool. I haven't found anything as funny? good as that hydration pack. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so uh, so now I've got a 10-mile descent, um, which this descent was pretty hairy. So you, it's an out and back. So you come back the same way you, you came. And uh, and you, you have to be on, you know, you, you don't want to crash, obviously. And like, you know, you put all this training into it. And so that's pretty hard on the legs, this, this descent. I'd never experienced anything like that. So, uh, there's no way to replicate that in Michigan. You can replicate the climbs. You, you really can, you, not the altitude part of it, but, uh, you know, unless you want to like breathe through a straw or something. Grab one of those training masks. Yeah. Yeah. So actually training mask, uh, uh, was formed by a guy in Cadillac. So there you go. There you go. Should have, should have looked him up, but, um, anyway, uh, yeah, so, but there's no way to replicate going downhill for that long on the legs. Um, and, you know, I really thought that I'd be able to recover, um, you know, on that downhill. And I wasn't able to recover that much, as much as I needed. And so uh, so I got down and then, um, you know, you get into, you've got like a little climb. And that's where I started to feel, I was like, man, I, I'm definitely feeling the effects of the altitude. I think I might have like burned my heart rate a little too high. And I, I always think back to that flat section on the way out. Cause you know, now I've got that flat section going the opposite way. And, um, and I got through it and I was, and that's when it started to register with me, like, man, I really should have taken this a lot easier on the way out. Um, and so I got through that and then there's a section at about, that's uh, about, what is it? I think it's probably 85 miles in, um, where you have to head back up this, this climb, it's called the power lines. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's like probably the second most notorious climb and sure. And it's, it's real hairy because really it is just a fire road that runs like down the mountain and they've got power lines that come down the mountain right there. And then you have just like a little snaking switchback that goes all the way down. So, um, it doesn't, you don't have like big, long sweeping switchbacks. It's like short little punchy ones. So, um, Every road, every road race, gravel race, or mountain bike race, whether it's like I said on tarmac, single track, or gravel, has the the acclaimed hill. At yeah, the, you know yeah. what I mean. It's just yeah. like yeah, it's got a name. Well, this one has it's two got a reputation. <laughs> yeah, so, so this is the second one. But uh, anyway, so I by the time I get to that, I can barely hold my head up. Um, and my head is in a vice. And so there's an aid station right there. And it's funny, earlier aid stations, they just kind of pat you on the back, say, Hey, good job. Glad to see you go, you know, go get after it. This one, you got a doctor with a light. Yeah, they're, you know, they were, they were shining lights in my eyes. And, and I remember the guys like, yeah, there's just no way you're going to make that next cutoff. And I was, you know, I was doing fine until halfway, but it fell apart there. So. So, you know, to DNF at 85 miles was just 
absolutely heartbreaking. So, oh man. So yeah, it was, uh, that was a tough one, really tough one to deal with. And so, you know, just knowing like how much time I put into it, yeah. how much time I like, you know, didn't hang out with my friends, didn't like, yeah, you know, like away from my wife, you know, that we were pretty newly married and it worked out well that, you know, allowed her to have time to study and do things like that. But quite costly. Uh, yeah. An expensive, you know, yeah. expensive trip. So, uh, so that was, and you know, obviously nobody beat me up over that more than myself, but, uh, um, but yeah, that was, that was pretty tough. No, so I would, I would even argue the financial piece at this point, it was, was probably the cheapest part, like costly on the relationships, costly on the physical, like just yeah, the discipline, I, the physical training, all kinds yeah. of, of, I mean, the money was spent that. at that point anyway. Right. So it's right. like, you know, there was nothing I could, uh, you know, nothing about that that really even like registered with me. It was just, I mean, I remember like crying in the car, just like yeah. putting my head down, like, man, like, felt awful. So that's disheartening. Yeah. So, so then I just sort of like, I kept biking cause I did really love it. And, uh, and I had just gotten back into it. Right. So I wasn't like at a point where I was going to stop, but I just kind of, um, you know, kept plugging in way at it a little bit and I'm working for a company where everybody runs. And <laughs> so, so I was, you know, I'd bounce back and forth between running races and, and still did some bike races, but nothing super competitive. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, um, you know, work and family just kind of took over a little bit more. I took on more responsibility at work. Um, you know, we had, we had two kids, so, uh, so, you know, that was a, a new adventure and, and they were, you know, they were, as, as they were getting older, they had different needs as far as time and commitment. And, and while, you know, we kept, um, you know, I, I, I never stopped working out or, uh, the racing definitely stopped and, but, uh, in 20 life uh, carried on. Yeah. Like yeah. You, li life you started adulting. On. Yep. Yeah. So, um, but in, in, uh, 2019, I, I decided I was like, all right, it's time to put another like big event on the calendar. And, uh, so hold on a second. Yeah. Let's give credence to what, what we just covered. So we zeroed way in on 2005 mm -hmm. S zoom out with me. Yeah. And you're back off of the mountain at Leadville, hands in the head, crying in the car. Yeah. You just, in your mind, you just flushed 18 months worth of training and a bunch of things are starting to kind of go, uh, is it worth it? Yeah, for sure. And just like, was that my chance? Right. You know, Did because, I just burn my, my one big one? Right. right. Like life's going to keep going on. Exactly. <laughs> like it's not going to wait for me to finish Leadville. Right. So, but that's sitting in the back of your mind. Then yeah. you get back into life as you know it or as you knew it. And we're, we're zooming way out. But I mean, the next 10 years, the next 12 years... So family yeah. starts to become part of the, the show. I think you did, you mentioned you did a master's program. Yep. Yep. Went back to school. I was, yeah, I was pretty, like, I love, um, to this day still, I love the running industry and I was, um, I, I was a buyer at Gazelle for a long time. Um, but my goal was really to be, you know, to be leading, um, the entire running team for a major running brand. Like that's, and that, that was the path that I was on. Okay. Like so that was professional development yep. is, is sub, you know, is, is developing over, over this 
10 year period Abs- as well. Absolutely. And it was, you know, it was something And my, um, my wife, um, she, uh, she's a physical therapist. So she, uh, you know, she started working and, uh, and she was in a very demanding role. So when she started as a physical therapist, it was treating, uh, people with traumatic brain injuries. So, oh, wow. um, so, you know, when, you know, everyone she's graduating with, uh, most of them are, you know, rehabbing ACL tears and, you know, rotator cuffs. She's like dealing with people that are, uh, you know, they just had a car accident, um, you know, and you're, de- you're dealing with them, dealing with their love loved ones and, and navigating that. And the whole, you know, these people have, uh, um, I mean, they have some serious neurological issues going on and you're trying to, you know, to bring them back to as close to a hundred percent as they'll ever be again, knowing that that's probably, you know, a tall cl- order. probably closer to 50% than, right. than they'll ever get to a hundred. Interesting. So. Yeah. But that bridge is a gap between like social work, yeah. behavioral therapy and physical therapy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, uh, um, it's, it's both physically taxing because you're, you're helping move these people, um, you know, a lot more than, like I said, you would someone with an ACL tear, right? Sure. Um, trying to rehab and, a s- surgery ankle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're getting in the pool with them. You're, you, you know, you're, you're moving them a lot. Um, and then just mentally taxing, right? I mean, you have people that are, um, you know, very, I guess, verbally abusive mm. in some cases, physically abusive. I mm. mean, she'd been, you know, hit, she'd been bitten. Um, and then you have people that you, you know, there's people you treat for years and, you know, you make a ton of progress. Um, they, get discharged out of that uh, system because they're not making progress anymore. So they end up in, you know, a home care situation or something along those lines. And, you know, just that change. Um, yeah, that just, ta- I imagine that takes its toll. Yeah. Well, and then you find out that they, you know, they commit suicide or something like that. They and give you, up, and you've, yeah. you've invested years in them and, you know, you send them home and mm. like they, they make it a week. So that's, you know, there's just a lot of things like that. So, um, so, so I knew like, you know, with, with that, um, what's your wife's name? Uh, Debbie. Yep. That brings, thanks for even just taking two seconds to bring a new, uh, just a new way of thinking toward somebody in her profession. I had never connected the dots prior to this conversation, Mm -hmm. but what a tremendous gift Debbie is to our society. Yeah. It's, uh, that's cool. I, I mean, it's, it was great to be able to say, you know, I mean, she made a giant difference in these people's lives yeah. and, uh, um, but it's a job that has a, a real high burnout rate. Okay. And so, uh, um, you know, I was definitely very focused on, you know, on, on the professional side of, you know, I, I guess advancing my career and my career goals. And she was definitely like, you know, that's what, that was what she wanted to do. Um, and then, you know, we, we throw kids into the mix and it, it was very hard to mentally just wrap our heads around, like, I'm going to train for this race because yeah. we just had so much going on outside of that. It's just not that and, feasible. Uh, Some people can swing it. It's just not that feasible in my mind. Yeah. I, it's, yeah. It's, it's never been either. It's a priority thing, right? I mean, you know, it definitely has to be a priority. And I think she, she would even say, you know, she start she trained for a half marathon, probably I don't know, six or seven years into her job, but she realized she's like, man, this is a lot of stress. I need to, you know, not that she ever like was in bad shape. I mean, she's literally like moving people around all day long. She was in great shape, but, uh, um, 
you know, having that outside kind of stress reliever is huge. It is, but um, there's also, I mean, there's an entire conversation built around how to properly allocate um, your resources, your time, your energy, your, you know, your financial means toward your goals within those seasons in life where it's, where it's, um, I, I guess, coming from more of a, a pastoral background, I call it stewardship, but just from a purely like economical standpoint, there's a, there's a conversation to be had about, uh, the, the, um, efficiencies of your output within the landscape that you're within your current landscape. And it's just like, when we try to train for ultra marathons, well, we have two kids under the age of five, something has to pay. Yeah. Something has to pay for that. And it's just an interesting conversation that's timely in my life as well. I'm not a super athlete. I'm not an ultra athlete. I'm very athletic, but I'm not, I've never trained for something that's required that much of me. And frankly, I don't think I'm capable of it because of the output required for me. Yeah to do a satisfactory job as a dad and a husband. Yep. It requires too much of my my bandwidth, my time, my energy, my patience. Yeah. Like dude, there's no way you're going to get me to train for a 100-mile race right now. Yep. I got to get out of bed and be nice to my 5-year-old. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Just, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's really what uh um you know, so our kids finally got to an age um I guess yeah, I mean, I guess they're like third and fifth grade maybe um when uh um i guess in 2019 when i decided to take on another event they just didn't need the hand holding that um you know that they had required yeah. before that um but then my wife also switched jobs so she uh um she left you know doing uh um, traumatic brain injuries and she started working with the schools so she was uh you know, and she continues to do that today. She's a physical therapist for the schools. So oh, the cool. state of Michigan actually funds physical therapy for kids from, I think actually it starts at like age three um, on up. So if they have, uh, you know, if they have any kind of, um, I guess I'd say cognitive disabilities where, and then they have physical disabilities that also, you know, um, create challenges in learning she helps work on the physical side of that. So that's um, a really, unique, so that's, that's cool. It's a, it's a great job. Um, she loves it. It's, it's been a great change for, her. she loves working with kids. Um, but there's a huge advantage of working in the school system is you get the summers off. So, mm. um, so now, you know, where a year ago, there was just no way I was going to say, Hey, I'm going <laughs> to disappear for two hours, you know, every, uh, every couple of days and train. Um, you know, now that's, uh, that, that became very feasible. Um, and so, uh, so I thought, you know, great time to, great time to get back into some training and, uh, um, and, and I had switched jobs. So I was a sales rep. So, um, I, I had left, uh, um, left Gazelle to, you know, at some point you have to leave the retail side and go work for a manufacturer if you want to, you know, climb the ladder there. So sure. I, had, I had left and gone to work for a running company uh, running shoe manufacturer. And, uh, and so I was doing sales working out of the house. So there was no like shortage of time with the kids. We were getting lots of kids time. So, uh, uh, they were, they were well cared for and I felt real good about, you know, 
putting some more time into the training. So, nice. so, so I threw a, uh, uh, there's a trail marathon up in the, up in the UP Grand Island trail marathon. And I thought that'd be, you know, that'd be a great opportunity. It's a real hard race. It's probably one of the hardest, you know, trail marathons in Michigan. I thought if I'm going to train for one, it's going to be a hard one. Uh, I had no illusions that I would be fast. Um, but, uh, but I, you know, I felt like I could run respectable, um, and, uh, you know, get a decent finishing time and be in the mix. So. Now, Ted, is the DNF in Leadville yeah. fueling the desire to put a tall, a tall one on the, on the calendar? For sure. I mean, that haunts me to this day. Like, interesting. Yeah. I can't, yeah, I can't think about like, like if I read an article or read a book about, you know, some endurance athlete, like I immediately start to draw comparisons between Leadville and, and even now I'm like, at some point I'll go back out and, you know, knock that thing off, not on a single speed, but <laughs> I'll, uh, you know, I, I still feel like I have to check that box, but, uh, um, Catch us up uh, yeah. before you do so. I, we would love to follow you in that story. That'd be really cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, um, so anyway, I'm training for this trail marathon. I started in, you know, I think I started in like January. Um, what year uh, is this? This is 2019. Okay. So yeah. So, so um, I was surprised. Actually, I, um, you know, I'd read David David Goggins had just came out with his book. Right. Um, gosh, well, I'm trying to remember what it's called, but. Uh, it's probably something along the lines of refuse to quit. Yeah. Yeah. Like ever. go, go run into a brick wall over and over again. That's, that's the message of the book. So, uh, but he talks a lot about just like running through these mental barriers and, uh, Oh, it's uh, can't stop me. Can't stop me. Yep. So great book. Uh, if, if, if rough language is an issue, it's probably not one you want to like throw on and listen with the kids in the car. Um, but, uh, um, but it's, it's, it's a good read. And certainly if you're, if you're struggling with just mental toughness, um, and just like your own limits, I think it's a great book to read. But anyway, I was there, I was struggling with some of my own personal mental limits and, you know, I'd go out for a three mile run and I'm thinking, you know, gosh, I'm just, uh, I'm just going to start walking. Like, it's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll go back out tomorrow and try and have a better run. And, uh, um, you know, I'm reading this book and then, uh, you know, I'm also listening to the audio book at the same time. And, uh, um, it just, you know, kind of changed my mindset where to really over, uh, you know, overcorrected to the point where I'm like, you know, it's supposed to be a rest day and I'm like, screw it. I'm running eight miles. Today. Goggins won't let you. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I don't have a broken leg, I should just keep running. And so, um, you know, I was able to really, you know, shoot my fitness up pretty quickly doing that. Um, again, I wouldn't recommend it. I, pr I definitely took, took some big risk. Um, you know, at, uh, at 39 probably shouldn't be, uh, doing that kind of training where it's just like hard day after hard day after hard day, but I did get pretty fit quickly. Um, and then I sort of, you know, settled into a more, a more reasonable training plan. As I'm looking at the calendar, I go, "Gosh, I'm my mileage is going to be way up there," you know, a good month or two before this race. So, uh, so like I said, training was going real well, and um, you know, we get into spring, and I'm I'm feeling great. I'm you know, I um, I I got pretty uh, again pretty disciplined about looking at my heart rate and really you know looking at sort of the physiological side of it. Um, 
you know, so I'd be looking at my pace and my heart rate and seeing like, as I, you know, as I'm getting more fit, my pace is, my pace is going up and I'm seeing my average heart rate come down. And, uh, and so I know like my fitness is definitely getting there. Um, and so we get to around May and I'm like, I'm ready to race. Like, and I've got nothing on the calendar until, you know, mid July when this trail race is there. So, uh, uh, the fifth, third riverbank run, which is, I think it's called something else now, but, uh, um, anyway, this is the biggest 25 K, um, in the country. So 25 K 15 and a half miles. I think Amway is sponsoring it now. Uh, it might be. Or yeah. Corwell. Yeah, right. Yeah. Corwell health. So, uh, um, so anyway, it's the USA Championships for 25K, and so it's a big event. It's yeah. great. it's the biggest, uh, you know, biggest athletic event in Grand Rapids. It's you a know, lot they, of fun. Yeah, they usually get around, you know, anywhere sixteen to 20,000 people doing that between 5K, 10K, and uh, 25K. So I thought, man, I've got this fitness. I might as well just run this race. Um, and I was still kind of undecided. I was helping out at the expo the day before. Um, we're actually working in the Gazelle Sports booth, and uh, oh, really? Yeah, and and uh, um, they brought you out of retirement. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. One of my uh, one of my industry friends walks up to me and says, "I here's an entry if you want one." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh man, the stars are aligning. Like this, oh, I, now gotcha. I have to do it. I've I've got this free entry. You know, I'm in the best." fitness I've probably ever been in at this time of year, um, to be able to run, you know, a decent time and, and, uh, you better capitalize. I got to do it. So, uh, so I go out, you know, next morning and, and decide I'm going to run this thing. So, so I get out there, I'm running. Um, and if anyone's ever done this, this race, there's a path that runs along the river and it's got, a um, it's, it's a bike path, right? Um, Runs right along the Grand River for several miles by the Indian Mounds. Yeah, yep. But it's got a it's got a really kind of a harsh crown to the road. So you know the middle it's a narrow road. It's it's barely wide enough for like a truck to to make its way down. Um, but the middle of the road's probably three feet higher than the edge of the road. So you have this really drastic crown, and you got to kind of decide: Am I going to run on the left side? Am I going to run on the right side? Um, and you know, think about what that does to your, to your ankles, gait. right? Yeah. So you've got one foot that's really canted, you know, canted up at, you know, at one angle. And then the other foot is the exact opposite, right? So, uh, um, in our, in the footwear world, you'd say one foot is extremely pronated. One foot is <laughs> extremely supinated. supinated. Interesting. So, uh, um, so dude, I'm even pulling from that I time know. in my life still. And I'm going, Oh yeah, I learned that at Gazelle. That's right. Yep. So, uh, so there's no, I don't know what I've heard a lot of people talk about the strategy is to just run down the middle of the road. Well, yeah, you and everybody else wants right. to run down the middle of the You're road. You're not going to pass anybody. Um, so, uh, so I tried to be mindful of like switching sides and, uh, and I think I spent a little too much time on, uh, um, on the right side of the road, but anyway, get through the race. Um, Gosh, was, you run a race like such a nerd. You have to with yeah. all the information going through your head. It's like I try not to think about it too much in the moment. I was going to say, can the, you ever just like just really enjoy, enjoy just running? But so uh, so I, I felt like I had a I had a really good run and um, one thousand two, one thousand three, switch to the right. Exactly. Yeah. So so I get to the end and I probably ran out a little hard and and definitely you know bonked a little at the end, but just felt good about getting through the race and was like, you know what? I got through it healthy. I'm fine. Next day 
I'm like, all right, I just need to go out and get like a shakeout run. I just need like, you know, I'm just going to go for like five miles, super easy. Um, my, by my house, it's all dirt roads. So it's, it's pretty, you know, it's low impact. It's, it's easy to do. And I get like three miles in and I just get a shooting pain in my left ankle. And I had to stop like, like right there, went from running to just stopped. And, uh, and I was like, gosh, is that, did I pinch a nerve? Like what happened there? And I go to take a step and I can, I can put zero weight on it. It's, uh, it's bad. And so I thought, gosh, I, I don't, I didn't break something like that's, you know, there's definitely, you know, I don't know what's going on, but it's, uh, I'm hoping I can, you know, walk it out and it'll be fine. And so, you know, I limp along for a few minutes and, um, and then, you know, it's not really getting a lot better, but it's getting to where I can walk on it. And so I, I end up where I just, is it, I mean, is it like nerve pain? Does it feel like it's traveling? It feels like nerve down your leg. Okay. But, um, so I, uh, I just walk the rest of the way home and, um, but I knew I was like, it's probably from, it's probably from running on that real drastic crown. Um, you know, I'm thinking that that just like stressed, um, you know, one of the, one of the ligaments on the, on the lateral side of my foot. So, um, yeah. And when I got home and so when you live with a physical therapist, they can do all kinds of testing on you when you get home and she's like, yeah, it sounds like there's some ligament thing going on there. So, much like if you live with a chef though, you know, they'll, they'll like make you dinner from time to time, but like, don't expect an extravagant dinner every night. Sometimes so, so I'm, like, therapist I'm like, all right, so, so what's the key? She's like, I don't know. Like, just suck it up. Like, just see if it gets better. You know? <laughs> so, Isn't that funny? So I'm like, yeah, the advice she would probably never give to a patient, but, uh, so she I'm was thinking, tapped out, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's fine. But, uh, so yeah, so I was feeling, um, a lot better those those next few days. I took some time off and um, decided to go for another run again and didn't have any issues. I mean, I, I think I only went maybe two miles um, flat surface and, you know, wanted to make sure I was airing on the side of caution. Uh, it was totally fine. I thought, great, I'm good to go back into training. And then uh, um, I think when I came back around to my next long run, um, which was – week after, I guess it was a week and a day after the riverbank run, had the same thing happen again. Um, just, you know, out on dirt roads and, uh, was running up a hill and, and again, got that same sharp kind of shooting pain in my left ankle. And, um, and I thought, gosh, this is, you know, how far away is Grand Island from this point? Um, so it's still, it's still like a month and a half, okay. you know, maybe almost two months out. So, um, so I do have some time. And so I say, I'm just going to shut it down completely. So I took a week off now, um, came back, you know, did another easy run and actually felt it again on that easy run. I said, gosh, I'm, I'm going to shut it down for, I'm just going to keep extending that time. Right. And so, uh, so I think, I don't know, I think I went another, another two weeks and, um, and I would periodically feel it like going up the stairs, I'd feel it. Um, and you know, so I, I tried another, you know, just another short run and it was fine. And, um, and I didn't feel like the sharp shooting pain, but I definitely still felt, you know, like I got to a point where my foot would come down and feel great. 
then the next time that left foot came down, it, it hurt. And I could kind of run through it a little bit, but, um, I knew I'm like, this is not something you want to like, I don't want to have ankle surgery. Um, I wasn't going to mess around with this. And I'm thinking, you know what, I've got, I can do it any year. (laughs) I'll just find some other year to do this. And, um, and you know, I bowed out of the race and just said, not going to do it. So, so I took the rest of the summer and, um, and I thought, you know, this is fine. I'll just, uh, um, this is the first summer that, um, you know, that my wife's going to be home. Got the kids, you know, got the kids home. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm working from home. So this is great. This is the, like the first summer. Everyone's going to be home. So this is, this is perfect. An optimistic spin on something that we got to, we got to right. pull, pull back <laughs> what we, what we mentioned earlier, which is this was, uh, kind of a, a refueled attempt at what you did 15 years yeah. prior. Yep. So that's, it's disheartening again. Disheartening for sure. Yeah. yeah. Cause you yeah. just, you know, again, you look at that and you're like, gosh, how many, you know, and I definitely look at it a lot different. You know, I was 39 at the time, definitely felt a lot different than when I was 24. Sure. <laughs> you and know, again, when you're 24, you think we got a lot of time. to. Yeah. But what's out. interesting is again, you had your fitness worked out to a point where you're going, yeah, everything else is working for me. I've yeah. got to, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, took the summer off. Yeah. I mean, I kept, uh, you know, I started, uh, to bike a little bit. I biked with the kids, um, was still pretty active. Um, you know, but, uh, but yeah, spent a lot of time just, we, you know, we live on a lake and, in, in uh, just North, uh, Northeast of Grand Rapids. And so spent tons of time, you know, tons of time at the beach there. Doing the Michigan on, water thing. Out on the boat. Sure. Yep. Yep. Got a, I was doing a lot of fishing. I'd bought a, um, I, I never stopped fishing like through all of this, <laughs> even though I haven't touched on it, I fished a lot. And, uh, and I had bought a boat a couple of years before that. And, and that summer really, really hammered the fishing hard. So, okay. um, and was really getting into smallmouth bass fishing. And, um, and so, you know, spent a lot of time doing that. And then, uh, um, so end of the summer, um, you know, we're getting ready to ship everyone back to school. Um, my wife still had not started her job, but, um, she, uh, so she, she had to go back this or go back. This she'd be starting her, her brand new job. Right. So okay, she's starting with the system. schools. Okay. Yeah. So she had, she had left her old, old job and the, uh, end of the spring there had the summer off was about front the end of the school year. Yep. Air's starting to cool. Starting to hear, yeah, starting yeah. to hear the so, marching bands warm up their their snares, and yep. it's it's all that stuff going yeah. on. Okay, so uh, so we get to Labor Day weekend, and you know it's kind of our last hurrah of the summer, and we decide we're just gonna go to my uh, um, go to my parents and uh, you know spend the spend the weekend there, and um, and they there was an early duck season, so they have an early teal season over there. Oh, nice. And so I was gonna my dad and I, you know, we love duck hunting together. He's a diehard duck hunter. Oh, nice. So, uh, the lake they live on, I mean, it's like a duck hunting lake. Is that so, right? Yeah, it's it's great. So, uh, so I go out, um, you know, go out hunting with him, and uh, and then, you know, we finally hit uh, finally hit Monday, and got to face the music, <laughs> make the long drive back to back to. Uh, you know, back to our house and, uh, and Lowell here and get the kids ready for school the next day and Deb ready for work. And, um, so, you know, everyone's pretty tired from the weekend. I was exhausted cause I was getting up, 
you know, you have to get up before, obviously before the sun comes up, which around Labor Day is really early. Very so, early. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I, I went to bed a little bit early. Um, the kids were already, already asleep and it's probably, you know, probably 10 o'clock. Um, and, and I'm out cold. My wife's just sitting there watching TV. And, um, so I get up to, uh, um, use the bathroom and, uh, and so I had, uh, I was kind of stumbling and, um, and this is, you know, my wife telling me, <laughs> kind of explain to me what happened, but I was stumbling into the bathroom and kind of coughing and, uh, and then I just collapsed. And so, uh, she, she had actually followed me into the bathroom cause she, you know, just didn't like the way I was walking. She knew something wasn't right. Knew something was up. And, um, so fortunately she, you know, as I'm collapsing, was able to lower me to the ground and, uh, realized right away, like, um, you know, basically all the color left my face. Um, oh, and so, uh, so she, you know, checks for a, a pulse and there's no pulse. And so, you know, she knew right away, like that, uh, you know, that I was, um, you know, something had happened and, and my heart wasn't beating. I wasn't breathing. And so, uh, um, she, you know, grabs her phone, calls 911, puts it on speaker and, um, and just starts immediately doing CPR. heavy sorry it's a you know I've, I've told this story gosh i don't know how many times but it's uh it's it's very hard when you uh you know to start telling when you when you bring the the, the family into it yeah so take your time man and honestly this is um it's vulnerable space for anybody um and i can only imagine for for you to relive it uh brings up some some heavy emotions so 